Reformation Fellowship provides support and fellowship to all who would stand for the Reformation of Christ's Church worldwide. We long to see the church revitalized by the gospel and seek to encourage all who share that vision. We gather together for gospel-hearted fellowship around gospel-minded theology. We are a ministry of unity. Greetings and welcome, friends. My name is Justin Shell, serving as your host here at the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us here for episode three. This is our third and final conversation with Dr. Michael Reeves, president of Union, head at Union School of Theology. If you missed our previous two conversations with Mike, you'll want to go back and listen to those. They were terrific. Today's conversation is about the head, heart, and hands in gospel ministry. How can we not only be theologically informed, uh, you know, have our, our theological, you know, doctrinal T's crossed and I's dotted, but how can the, the, the truths of God, the truths of scripture change us and flow through us and out into the people we minister to? So that's what we're talking about today with Michael Reeves. Mike, thank you one more time for joining us for the Reformation Fellowship podcast. This is the, the last of our uh, conversations together here for season one, but we've been so blessed to have you. Hey, thank you, Justin. It's been a real pleasure being with you. And I know our, our listeners have benefited and enjoyed the time and uh, hopefully in seasons ahead, we'll snag you and, uh, and continue the fellowship. I love that that way. But today we are talking about head, heart, and hands in gospel ministry. And I, I don't usually start off an episode talking about myself, but if I can for a moment, this is, this is what I think drew me most to, to union and to the vision of Reformation Fellowship. Uh, there was a time in my walk with the Lord where I've, I would have said, I've got great doctrine. I'm, I'm reformed. I, I love theology. I, I care for the church. Um, but I didn't uh, have a deep enjoyment of God. Um, those things that they didn't seem to be bringing me into enjoyment of Christ and what uh, I've so enjoyed uh, in my time around Union and now here in, in the beginnings of the Reformation Fellowship is that, that wedding of, you could say, um, theology and piety or mm. the head, the heart, the hands um, of, uh, of knowing the truths of God and, and, but also knowing and enjoying God for himself. Mm. Um, and I, I'm, I know I'm not the only one as I've had more and more people. It seems uh, now almost weekly saying I've discovered through um, this union resource or that uh, resource from, uh, from, from, from Mike or from, uh, others involved in in uh, in the work 
I discovered that uh, my my right theology was somehow just missing mm. uh, delighting in God. Is that something that you're hearing as as you speak, as you as people respond to what you're writing? Are you hearing that? And and if so, why do you think that is? Yeah, you, you know, it's so encouraging to hear, but I am hearing it all the time. And uh, in fact, just yesterday, I was speaking to a pastor who has a member of his congregation studying with us in one of our hubs. And he said, what's been so encouraging for him is watching her grow, not simply in knowledge, but love for Christ. And he said, you know, she'll share with him about how, you know, at the moment they're studying Athanasius. But when she'll just talk to him about what she's learning about Athanasius, it's it's just spilling out of her a deepened love for Jesus, mm. which was just so encouraging for me to hear. Yeah. Um, but but I wasn't surprised to hear it. I was delighted. Um, and I, th- I think it's it's because... It's very, very deliberate in in what we do. Uh, I, I am I'm adamant that the knowledge of God should lead to adoration of God. You don't know him if you don't love him. And, and therefore, any... Um, theological education that does not build you up in love for and adoration of God is not a healthy theological education. And Mm. so it's something, it's right at the heart of what I, I work really hard to ensure in everything we're doing to raise up leaders is we are teaching theology in such a way that the, the effect is doxology. The effect is worship and that uh, we're we're raising up leaders who don't simply, they're not tadpoles with all head and no heart. They are, uh, their heads are filled with the knowledge of God and their hearts burst with love for God. Mm. Mm. That's so, that's so important. My guess is, then if, if it's so central for you, if it's something that you work so hard to, to weave into what union does, um, and, it, and it spills out, if I can say this, in, onto the pages that you write, how, how has God made that intersection of the head and the heart central for you? How, how did mm-hmm. it come to be that um, this, is, this is something that you're going to... Um, you're going to make central. Yeah. I, I think a turning point for me was um, I was reading Jonathan Edwards, religious affections. And there's a bit there where Edwards is talking about the marks of the hypocrite. And, and one of the things he said is the hypocrite desires the things of God more than God himself. Mm. And when I read that, I thought, you got me. That's exactly what I want. I, I want heaven. Mm. But if Christ weren't there, I think I'm okay with that. Because mm. Christ, I'm very grateful that he gets me to heaven, but heaven's the actual treasure. And, and it left me a bit confused because I was thinking, I, I think that was the gospel I was taught. Mm. That if you trust in Jesus, 
he will give you heaven. And, and so I was thinking, I think that's what I've been taught, but, but here was my confusion. I thought, how is it that I could love God more than life itself, eternal life itself? And the next thing I read was Edwards, The End for Which God Created the World, in which he does this just gorgeous story, biblical theology of the glory of God through scripture. Mm. And it was reading that, that I saw the beauty of the glory, the character of God and saw, oh yes, he is more delightful than anything Mm. else. And therefore I desire him. And actually he is what makes heaven heavenly. And that point, I think that was such a, a profound revelation to me that more than ever, the thought of theological game playing, where we use the knowledge of God to become stronger in ourselves and more impressive in ourselves to, to become more influential ourselves uh, yeah. to, to play games and show off to each other because of our knowledge became ever more revolting to me mm. Mm. and as i saw the beauty of god luring me to something better that we're brought to know and enjoy him so i think it's that revelation of, of what we're made for to to enjoy him that, that changed me to make me want to work that into all that i'm teaching all that i'm writing all that i'm doing as i'm um heading up the ministry of union mm. and it's a it's a tricky thing because on i think we could say we could take edward's statement there do you want the things of god more than god and uh you know i imagine a a a fairly new believer who's starting to get a a a heart for god and and then discovers good robust um thoughtful theology and the next thing you know it's not that they, they they may not say oh i want heaven instead of jesus but they've lived as if I want theological education. Right. Yeah. Um, instead of, I want to know God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my, one of my favorite um, Greek based words is the word sophomore, mm. um, which comes from two Greek words, wise and foolish put together. And, and, and the, the idea is that, when you've studied for a little while, you become a, a wise fool mm. in that you think you know so much and a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Yeah. And so you can become puffed up very quickly and that's a sophomore. Yeah. But the knowledge of God is given to us that we might be humbled before, filled with the greatness and the wonder of mm. who God is. Yeah. So the, you, you've mentioned Edwards as, as helpful for you. Uh, you look back at church history and you see, it seems to be that um, ever so often the Lord needs to raise up 
a, 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 a ministry, that may not be the best word, but um, raise up voice, a voice or voices that reminds the church um, it, about the affections, about uh, knowing and delighting in God. Is that right? Is there kind of a, a lineage that we there can is. go back to and see? Yeah, there, there is, which I think points to the opposite truth as well, that you also find there are teachers in the church who are quite off on this, who, who, who get this really quite wrong. And so thinking of that lineage, I think of a classic example, um, the debate between Augustine and Pelagius in the early fifth century. And Augustine's, uh, the heart of Augustine's critique of Pelagius, who was teaching that we can be saved by our performance, by maintaining the law ourselves. Augustine said, you don't even know what love for God is because you're not loving God, you're using God to get heaven. Mm. And so Augustine built this distinction, enormously helpful distinction between using and enjoying. And he said, we're made to enjoy God and we use other things, we use all creation to enjoy him more. And we enjoy many things in creation, but we, we enjoy them as signposts, as real in themselves, but they also point us up to the origin of their own beauty and goodness. And, and so that through those things, I come to enjoy God more, but I do not use God to enjoy other things more. And that's the confusion that we can keep making. We're made to enjoy God, not use him. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's a mistake that can so easily happen in pastoring, that when you fail to enjoy God as a pastor, what happens so easily just through the busyness of ministry is you can find yourself using God as the tool of your trade. Yeah. Not actually enjoying him yourself. It's just that, you know, you're paid now to speak about Jesus. And so it could be, you know, you're a TV salesman. It's just, you're a Jesus salesman mm. and you've got bored of him yourself, but that's where the pay is coming from. And so you're now using Jesus yeah. really for money. Mm. Oh, and there's, there's just better for us, isn't there? There's just uh, the invitation to, uh, to know him, to have him, that this is eternal life, that they know you. Right, right. Yeah. What a poor substitute. Yeah. What a poor out. substitute. Yeah. So we see there's, there's a lineage, and uh, we could probably talk all day about hmm. uh, <laughs> those in church history that have been helpful here. I want to look at today... Um, because uh, we talked about having, you know, uh, us having conversation with with people who are who are starting the light bulb starting to go to to go on for them, and it seems that by God's grace, um, the Lord is using some resources today. Um, he's he's allowing some some influence to happen um, that kind of falls in that lineage. Uh, people. 
who have read your books, listen to your talks, uh, Mike, that they they kind of know you as the delighting in God guy. Um, but it could it could easily uh, someone could think, well, that's that's I guess that's Reeves's, you know, that's his hobby horse. But um, there are others who are starting to recognize this need as well. I think of um, a Union U.S. board member, Dane Ortland, in his book gentle and lowly that that's had quite an impact in the U.S. at least over the last year. Uh, what do you see that's happening right now that that maybe is helping reorient the church to mm. this um, this enjoyment of God, this not using God for the for his for the things of God, but but um, pursuing him in himself? Yeah. I think what it is uh is uh, so take take uh, dane ortland's book gentle and lowly which seems to be making such a wonderful impact on so many lives yeah. the thing with that book is it's really riffing on thomas goodwin and dane's quite open about that he, he says that in the book right. that these are lessons he's learned from thomas goodwin especially goodwin's work the heart of christ in heaven towards sinners on earth and and so what's happening there in that book and in my books too is really a recovery of truths that have been heralded loud and clear by that old lineage mm. by by a thomas goodwin by a richard sibbs by an augustine by a luther by a spurgeon and i think that's where health always seems to come from and and I, I want to be able to point that out because um i know that uh, uh i have i've heard people say for example reading dane's book that they're they're reading through it going really is this true mm-hmm. and and I know people will be reacting like that. And so what Dane's doing sometimes, what I do in my books as well, is, is partly to get people to chew on the idea more, but also get them to see there's lineage. Let me just show you how Spurgeon said exactly the same thing, how Calvin said it, how Augustine said it, how Edward right. said it. Yeah. Um, so that you can see, actually, yes, I'm saying it, but this has been said in a generation before and it's just being recovered and my experience is i've never said an original thing in my life and but what i find is i love reading these old classics and and i find so often i come out with an insight which is actually athanasius it it, it it's actually luther but i I don't want to always say, as Luther said, and I come out with insight like that. And so many times I'm used to this now. People say, that's brilliant. I've never heard it put like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking inside, well, it was put like that 500 years ago. Mm. It's just that it gets forgotten very easily. So I think what's happening now is there's a lovely recovery of some deep, great, truths there's some mining of the gold that's been going on yeah yeah you kind of mentioned people reading or or maybe hearing some of these things and questioning it and i've i've had the same experience i've i've known uh some folks who have read 
delighting in God or, or maybe right now reading Gentle and Lowly and almost to a person, they've said, it took me reading several chapters before I actually began to believe mm. what I was reading. Yeah. It, almost as, they, as if they were recognizing there's this natural inclination in me to disbelieve the goodness of God. Yes. What do you, what do you think that is? Well, when you say natural inclination, that's it. Um, it. It is that the very nature of sin is to disbelieve and question the goodness of God. It's the very nature, so, so that you, you see this with Satan's temptation in the garden at the beginning, is to think that he's restrictive, yeah. that he's not generous, that he's not kind, and therefore not to trust him, and to make him out to be worse than he is. Yeah. His revelation is always proving himself to be better than, better than we would even make up, and, and the thing is that we have this deep sinful propensity to to turn god into an unattractive idol and that sinful disposition even works itself out in the most pious looking religiosity which i think is really the face of pharisaism today so you look at pharisaism and pharisaism it adds to the word of God and so alters the word of God. That was Jesus' debate with the Pharisees in Mark 7, changing the gospel of God such that the Pharisees are believing in a basic self-dependence, a, a salvation by works of some sort, um, rather than God's grace alone, meaning that they've got a different God, yeah. a God that you can stand up and be proud of yourself beforehand rather than a God before whom you are humbled and amazed. And so, and, and there's also in Pharisaism, because there's not um, that understanding of the gospel clear, all their religiosity is kicking against Jesus' proclamation of the grace of God. His lavishness towards sinners is resented all their pride comes out to fight it. And, but they're actually fighting for a profoundly unattractive, ungracious God. Mm. And I, I think what helps us get into this a little bit is the last thing the Pharisees were denying. That is, they were seeing that sin's a small problem and therefore you don't need much of a solution. There's certainly no need to be born again. Hence Nicodemus' confusion over the issue. Mm -hmm. you know, we can simply sort ourselves out. There's no need for the Spirit's regeneration. And that, I think, is something that we've got to be pressing into more today if we want to change and alter ministries so that they can understand this and appreciate this more. So we naturally are disinclined to believe the goodness of God. And so when our eyes are opened up, we, we often uh, are shocked by the, the sheer kindness of Jesus. Um, I, I think we're, we're also, we, we start to hunger for 
for more of this. If if this is true, if this is what God is really like, I want that God. I want to, I want to mm. know him. Mm. Um, and I've noticed that those who, in, you know, at least around me who are starting to experience that, that renewal, you might say, are, are starting to ask, particularly the ones who are in ministry of any kind, how do I get this into my, my ministry? How do I, how do I get this into my preaching, yep. into my counseling how does this how do we start to work this reality this truth this dna into our small groups um you know there's another way to say that maybe is they're starting to see the goodness of god all over the place through some of these these helps some of these voices but they're struggling with how do i how do i see the goodness of god in the passage i'm preaching and bring that out or how do i allow the goodness of god to shape what we do as a church what would you say to that yeah, I, th- I think um, I immediately think of what John Newton said. Uh, I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great savior. Mm-hmm. And those two things go together. And you must realize that, that when you, when you don't think Christ is a great savior, it's because you don't think you're a great sinner. Mm-hmm. So actually, when you have a small view of the delightful goodness of God, it's because you have a high view of us. Mm. And you've got a small view of sin, which is exactly the problem the Pharisees had. They didn't think God's a great savior because they didn't think they were great sinners. So what's got to happen is if you're in church ministry, if you're a pastor, church leader, don't don't imagine that people's problem is that they're simply they can't be bothered to do better and they need to be told more you need to realize that sin is a deep addiction a deep bent and orientation of the heart and since it is that you cannot simply preach by telling people to improve mm. what that's actually doing is saying you will have the capacity to do better you don't really need christ he might step in to help a little bit but really it's all down to you whereas when you see no people are naturally helpless in their sin helplessly addicted then your compassion grows and then you have to produce the one thing that will give them a new heart the one thing that can release the captives that can break chains the gospel the power of god for the salvation of those who believe and so what you must do then is you preach the gospel as the thing that changes hearts, the thing that makes people turn away from a natural dread of God and antipathy to him, to finding they actually want to live for him. Mm. Those two things have got to go together. If you want yourself to enjoy Christ as a great savior, if you want your people to see, to marvel at the, the beautiful goodness of christ you need to 
recognize what a deep problem of sin we have and know it is so deep, only the gospel can sort it. And therefore you preach the gospel as what will overturn and melt hearts. And then when you see the power of the gospel at work, then you see lives being changed as people are happily walking away from their sin, fighting their sin because they want to be like Christ. They don't want to be in their sin. Mm. And that will only come when you're preaching the gospel such that they're developing a deeper affection for Christ than they have attachment to their sin. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's, if there's um, the other side of the coin. So you, our heart needs to be right. We, we've got to see uh, the goodness of God and, and my own just uh, without him deadness and sin and my even ongoing struggle. Um, I wonder if for the, the, for the minister as well is maybe, is there a way of, of thinking about preaching thinking about pastoral pastoring people counseling that we get stuck in in um in the 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 head without ever addressing the heart or um maybe one way to look at it is i could preach john one and i could do a great job explaining some of the trinitarian formulation there and uh, I could talk about the intricacies of the incarnation there. And I could do that in a way that you never see the beauty of the father-son relationship that, that John is, is holding before our eyes. Or the beauty that, that Christ has come so that we could see and know the father whose bosom he has come to us from. Hmm. Is, that, is, there a, is that maybe part of what's going on here that that we think too lowly of preaching or we think wrongly of preaching yeah i i i i think it's even deeper than preaching it's is mistaking what the knowledge of god is for mm. that it's thinking that the knowledge of god is merely something that can flit about in my brain mm. um which is not true knowledge of god the true knowledge of God expresses itself in worship. You do not know God if you don't adore and worship him with your heart. And that, therefore, affects preaching in that my aim in preaching is not... I, I, I find sometimes I'm introduced before the pulpit to say our preacher is now going to come and explain the text to us mm-hmm. and when that that said i'm always grumpily thinking to myself oh no i'm not uh, i do mean to explain the text but i intend to do an awful lot more than that i intend to herald the christ proclaimed by this text so that the people worship him mm. because that's the purpose of god's revelation you know so Jesus said at the very end of John 17 to his father um, that the reason he'd been sent is that he would make your name known to them that 
that our love may be in them. Mm. That you cannot think you've preached a faithful sermon if actually the sermon is not just simply abstractly calling people, come on, worship now, but it's actually giving fuel to worship. That's that's what the heralding, the outshining of the word of God does. It is, it is the light that produces the heat of worship. Hmm. Yeah. And that's a lot different than let me explain to you my observations and my interpretations, and then I'll try to come up with some application points for you. It's, it's very different because yeah. uh, here are my observations could be a very um, prideful exercise in we're simply puffing ourselves up in the knowledge we have. And then some applications, I'll actually puff myself up in trying to simply improve my life by myself. Yeah. So it, 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 we cannot, we, we open the word of God, not merely to share some interesting tidbits for the mind, not merely to share some thoughts on how to improve your life. We, we herald the word of God so that people worship him. Yeah. And, and, and that's a mark of, of faithful preaching, that, that Christ is so held out that the people are responding in wonder at him, that they're, they're finding they're more revolted at their sin, that they're more amazed at Jesus, that they want to sing in praise of him. Mm. Mm. Amen. Amen. Well, Mike, thank you again for making time to be with us. This uh, has been a rich three conversations with you. I know our listeners have benefited and we just, um, I know I have as well. So thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks, Justin. It's been really fun chatting these things through with you. Thank you. To our listeners, our time is up. So thank you for joining us and the Reformation Fellowship. Please connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. And don't hesitate to let us know how we can serve you or your church. If you have enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you find your podcast. Thank you and God bless.